The following show is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is Frank Congelos, your host. We're here on behalf of CNA Financial Group. Our guest today is Mike Trudell, Managing Director over at BlackRock. Mike, it's always a pleasure to have you with us on the show. Welcome. It's good to see you. Frank, always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much for having me back. So, you know, we're here at the tail end of the summer. You know, we're a couple of weeks away from the Labor Day weekend, you know, so I know that some moms and dads are walking through like the Stables commercial is the most wonderful time of the year. And then there's some of us that are saying, oh, the summer went too fast. But, you know, when we look at what's going on in the world and what's going on in the economy, you know, it's been an interesting year. Yes, so, Mike, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, we look and we hear that, you know, the S&P 500 has been doing great. And, you know, we just came off of a rough year in 2022. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could just take a second or be a second, but a couple of minutes and just explain, you know, what did 2022 look like? And then when we compare that to what does the 2023 look like as to where we're at so far this year, what what are you seeing at BlackRock? What have you been seeing and how do you feel? Sure. So um, first of all, I hope that none of us go through 2022 again for quite some time. It was a tough year. And what made 2022 so unpleasant, it was the first year that we had in a while, Frank, where stocks and bonds went down together. And they were down double digits. And the reason for that was the speed at which that the Fed was raising rates and inflation was really kind of galloping. Um, I, I don't know if a lot of our listeners may remember this, but in, in May of last year, 2022, and in June, CPI, the, one of the more common gauges for U.S. inflation, it was running at 9% annualized. Now, we hadn't seen numbers like that since the early 1980s during the energy crisis. Good news We've turned the calendar into 2023. Inflation is still a little bit higher than what I think a lot of us have ex you know, experienced the last 10 years and higher than what the Fed would like, but it's come down a lot. You know, People are still feeling it, too. You know, it's one of those, you know, prices have jumped up as fast as they did mm -hmm. over that short period of time. And now what's happening is, is it's not like we went backwards and prices went down. It's just they're not going up as fast. That's correct. That's correct. So just to get perspective, because I never want our listeners to be deceived and go, it didn't feel like things you know, went the other way. Yeah. No, it didn't go the other no, way. No, it didn't it go just, the other way. It just slowed down. It didn't the go pace. the other way. It didn't, it didn't go the other way. That's exactly right. The pace of the increases has slowed. The good news is that for a lot of Americans, um, their wages, uh, at least recently, have been at least keeping close to the inflation rate. So I think the point is, is last year where people really felt a bite in their discretionary spending, at least recently, it's been a little bit more moderate. And we've seen that reflected in how capital markets have done. So year to date, the S&P 500 is back up now 14 and a half percent. As we'll discuss, a lot of that heavy lifting has been done by a handful of tech stocks due to a lot of enthusiasm and excitement about around artificial intelligence, which I have to tell you, we think in many cases is justified. But I just want to emphasize to folks, um, you know, when you look at the broader indexes, um, a lot of the gain has been driven by a relatively small number of, of stocks. If we if we take those seven or eight tech stocks out of the equation, returns for the S&P have been more modest. They're about five, five and a half percent, which, you know, you're still only eight months through the year uh, is not a terrible rate of return. Right. Yeah. So I think for a lot of folks, um, 
at least it's felt a lot better than 2022. And what I would also say that's been a big relief to many is that we don't think the U.S. is going to go into recession. Uh, that was also one of the reasons why equity markets really had a tough time in 2022. There were a lot of folks forecasting that by the time we get into this year, that the, the economy would be in contraction. And for a whole host of reasons due to you know, ongoing fiscal spending, which is still pretty high, uh, a lot of unspent savings, believe it or not, that haven't been spent since the pandemic, a very, very low unemployment rate, and very importantly, a U.S. economy that today is much more service-oriented than it was in the 1980s when we were much more manufacturing and goods-oriented. For all those reasons, uh, the U.S. economy has not gone into recession. In our view, at least on our team at BlackRock, is I think that there's a decent chance that the U.S. doesn't go into recession at all. You know, it's interesting. Nobody has a crystal ball. You know, anything can happen. But, mm -hmm. you know, at the same, you know, point is, you know, a lot of the different financial institutions that, you know, um, we work with, uh, we partner with and so forth, very similar outlooks and so forth. But, you know, it's interesting is if you were to catch, you know, the five o'clock news or the seven o'clock news, you know, would, you know, because they sensationalize all the negative things that are going on in the world and you get the five minutes of what's going on that's nice, you would think that, you know, the world is, you know, not doing well and this is getting bad and so forth. So, um, not necessarily everything they're seeing on those headline news are really reflective of what's going on in the economics of what's going on, you know, in our economy and around the world. I think that's right. I think uh, the advertisers don't make a lot of money when newscasters are talking about great news. Uh, <laughs> make a lot of money when people are talking about bad news because that's what people then generally tune in to hear what's going on. Oh, absolutely, you and know? you're coming into an election year too, I so so we'll hear more of that. But that's not necessarily what's reflective in the markets and in the economy, which is one of the you know points in our conversation today that I want people to find a little bit of you know solace and and know that you know know what don't look at the headline news quite so much as it relates to the economy i think that's right i think if there was one person's view in talking with a lot of folks you know as we've kind of gone through the last couple of years you know i don't want to uh, diminish the 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 negative psychology of inflation and how it hurt folks last year especially when oil and gas prices were at one point were, were going up pretty quickly um but i would ask people to to, to just take a little bit of a broader perspective from, from this sense. I remember, I'm old enough to remember Ronald Reagan and we campaigned for president. And he said, uh, a recession is when your neighbor loses your job. A depression is when you lose your own. I want to remind your audience that the unemployment rate right now in the United States is only three and a half percent. It hasn't been this low since the Vietnam War. And the only reason why it was that low during the Vietnam War is because guys were getting drafted to go into the service. So the point is, you know, when you think about the economy, and to your great point, it's not like prices are coming back down. It's that the, the increases have slowed, is that a lot of individuals have jobs. And if you want to get a job, you want to go to work. Uh, there's plenty of folks, there's plenty of small businesses that are still reaching out and trying to hire folks to fill those jobs. So I think when we think about kind of where we are right now, I would just simply say um, we haven't gone into recession. We don't think we're going to go into recession. Our view is that inflation is going to continue to come down. And the reason for that is that the, uh, caused by the lagged effect of all the rate increases that we've seen from the Federal Reserve. There were going to be some forces that are pushing it back against that. But long term, it's very, very tough to fight the Federal Reserve. 
And so as a result, we think as the year continues to go on, we're going to get into December and we're going to see those inflation numbers back down around 3%, maybe even a little bit lower than that. One last point. If we look deep into the future, maybe not that deep, but the rate at which technology is advancing, this may be only the next 18, 24, 36 months, but technology has the potential to be very deflationary. And the reason is, and this is actually some good news, I think a lot of the advancements that we've seen in AI is going to help address the labor shortage problem that a lot of companies in the United States currently have. And so I would just simply say to your audience, look, last year wasn't pleasant. We went through a lot of bad spell with inflation. We're on the back end of that now as it's starting to come down. The Fed's going to be very, very resolute in getting those inflation numbers down. So I think folks are going to start to finally see some, uh, some ease, not, maybe not a reduction in prices, but we're not going to see uh, the big step ups that we saw last year. And that's what caused so much of the dislocations in the capital. It's like slamming the brakes on a car. That's right. You know, it's like you get that you know jerk reaction initially, yep. but then the car's moving a little bit slower and you know, everybody's a little more controlled. So I know, you know, we'll get people that'll ask us and say, oh, the, you know, is the Fed going to raise rates again? And again, nobody knows. But the markets kind of, you know, uh, build into it what they see. That's correct. And so, you know, at BlockRock, what are they thinking? And, you know, as we come into year end, are they thinking, you know, one more rate increase? And, you know, because we're hearing there's a possibility of one, but nobody's seeing it much more than that. And for all intent and purposes, that's all already built into the cake at this point. I think that's right. And what the markets are telling us and what we think at our firm is that there's potential for one more rate increase. We don't think it's going to happen in September. Um, there's a possibility it may arrive in November, but it might not arrive at all. And from our team's view, and my boss is Rick Reeder, he's the CIO of fixed income from BlackRock. He thinks the Fed has done all the lifting that they need to do. They don't need to raise again. And that this inflation, uh, the inflation is going to continue to come down on its own. As you said, it's kind of like a car that's decelerating. While it's continuing to slow and slow and slow, do you need to continue to lean into the brakes? Our answer is we don't think they need to, to do that. They may decide to go one more. But one more hike at this point, after all the work that they've already done, if people don't remember this, there were several instances last year when the Fed raised rates, they would do it you know, three quarters of a percent or 75 basis points at a time. They hadn't done that since 1994 it was the last time the Fed raised rates that fast. So I think giving people some perspective about what the Fed's policy was last year helps explain why the markets took it so hard. And now if you and I are sitting here in August debating about maybe one more 25 basis point increase, well, the 75 basis point stuff is done. Right. Right. The series of rate increases, that stuff's behind us. There's no slam in the brakes. It's a tap of the brakes, if anything. And we already think that maybe it's already been built in. I think that's right. That's so, you sure. know, what's interesting is, um, you know, because people will catch the headlines of things and they'll go, well, the S&P is up X, you know, year to date, you know, 14%, whatever the number might be. But my portfolio isn't that. And so, you know, our conversation with people is, you know, because, you know, we want our clients to have a diversified portfolio. And, you know, you mentioned before with regard to, you know, the S&P 500, that there were really, you know, a handful of companies that really drove that. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can just explain that a little bit, which is, you know, if you had an equal weighted S&P versus you had just, a, you know, those few companies that were weighted and what that actually means. So we're at a point right now in the markets where there are 10 companies from a market capitalization perspective, in other words, the value of their stock and what it makes up in the index, 
10 companies represent over 30% of the S&P 500. Now, it just so happens that for this year, a lot of those companies also were the best performers. And almost all of that has been tied to the advancements, the rapid advancements in artificial intelligence. And so the reason why the market has rewarded the small handful of companies is the market believes that these are going to be the companies that are going to be the earliest to profit from advances in artificial intelligence. So some of those names are names like NVIDIA, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, Meta, not so much. Meta really bounced off of the horrible year that they had last year when the stock was down over 50%. And I just want to make the case to the audience that we believe at BlackRock, as I know you counsel your clients, I think very appropriately, that rule number one is diversification and risk management. And for us, we, we run diversified portfolios. We own virtually all those names that I just cited to you. We might not own as much as the weighting is in the benchmark, only because our view was, yes, they're great companies, but what are we paying for future earnings? And in some cases, the prices of those stocks have gotten to levels where we just say, you know, with interest rates where they're at and, you know, cash paying five and a half percent, what what kind of multiple do I want to apply in that stock? And we've actually started to see in the last three months, the market has started to broaden out. I know the last couple of weeks we've seen equities come back a little bit, but if you look over the course of the summer, it has been a good summer. June and July were very good months for the stock market. What led it higher wasn't some of these big seven names. They had a lot of that run in the first quarter, in some cases, January. Um, you start to see industrials, energy, uh, a number of other areas of the economy starting to do better. And the reason is because economic growth is surprised on the upside. I know you probably had these conversations with your clients last year. A lot of folks were worried about a recession. As I mentioned to your team, uh, our view has been that the U.S. wasn't going to go into recession this year. It was non-consensus. I'm telling you and I'm telling your audience, I think as we go into the back half of this year, GDP is going to be stronger than what people think. And that means earnings are going to be stronger than what people think. And a lot of those companies, the other 493 names in the S&P, are going to show some pretty good results as we go into the fall and into the winter. So what should we do? We should continue to be diversified. And as a matter of fact, in our portfolios, we're putting a greater emphasis on some of those 493 names that may not have done so well year to date relative to some of those big tech companies, but we think they're going to narrow that gap. Right? So we've got good results, but we think some of those names are going to continue to do well. It's a great insight. And, you know, the other thing, you know, too, that you know, I wanted to just touch on is, you know, um, for most of our clients, I would say probably 99%, mm -hmm. um, they've got a diversified portfolio that, you know, it's 60, 40, 70, 30, 80, 20. And, you know, if we were looking a few years back, you know, those, the 20%, 30, 40, or whatever that we had towards bonds and fixed income, we looked at it back then and we always explained it to our client that although rates were very low, it was the area that helped to provide some stability in the portfolio. That's correct. And gave the opportunity for rebalancing and everything else. Nowadays, you know, they're actually being compensated nicely for the bond side of the portfolio, which is, you know, all of a sudden that 20, 30, 40, 50% that they have in fixed income has seen a little different. Maybe take a minute or two and share some of your thoughts on that and what you're seeing. Sure. I mean, I, there's a lot of market commentary and a lot of your clients may have read this about the quote unquote death of the 60, 40 portfolio. And people have been writing about this for the last two or three years. And I, I would make the case that 
uh, and I've been in the business not as long as you, but I've been at this 25 years. And I would say, I think if you're putting money to work today and you've got a three to a five year time horizon, there have been few times the past 25 years where 60, 40 portfolio looks as attractive as it does today. And the simple reason for it is for the first time in many generations, interest rates are higher levels than we've seen in quite some time. Now, as we said, the Fed may have one more hike, but we do think inflation is going to continue to start to come down. And if I can buy bonds and at the short end get paid five and a half percent and on commercial paper that matures in six to nine months, that's paying me six to six and a quarter, that has virtually no default risk and almost no interest rate risk, or I can expand out and own investment grade bonds or even high yield bonds in the United States, where again, we don't think we're going to have a recession and high yield is paying me 8.5, 8.6, 8 8.7%. Man, oh man, I got to tell you, I mean, you haven't seen opportunities like that since the 80s in fixed income. Your audience has to remember, if you look at the long-term average return, the S&P 500 since 1928, it's a little over 9%, it's about 9.5%. If you can get near that on your equity side and you can get six to seven percent on your fixed income side and have a diversified portfolio and get the cushion of having some income and some dividends, that is a fantastic deal, especially in an environment where inflation is decelerating. And I'm going to tell you, it might not happen tomorrow, might not happen for a quarter to two quarters, probably not even into next year. But once the Fed gets past November, let's assume that they raise 25 basis points. Their next move at some point is going to be to cut rates. And when they do that, stocks and bonds will generally benefit. That's what history tells us. So I would just simply say, listen, and I know you've done this, and I know you counseled your, your clients this. Dollar cost averaging is a great way to invest. If somebody said to me, you got a snapshot in time right now or at the end of August, and you're looking out the next three years, man, oh man, the opportunity set in 60-40, you can get a diversified portfolio, get great returns. And 12 months out from now, 18 months from now, I'm going to have the tailwind of the Federal Reserve potentially cutting interest rates. Man, I want to own that stuff. And so, you know, as I listen, you know, what it always reminds me is, number one, can't time the market. Correct. Uh, we know things are going to happen, especially we're coming into election year. 100%. And so we're going to, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. You know, we have this hurricane hit the West Coast and you got all this craziness that goes on in the world. But at the end of the day, here's what we know. You know, stocks and bonds over time perform. They compensate you for the risk that you've taken. Correct. They're risk adjusted returns. Um, as compared to parking money, in although there's money in the bank nowadays that are paying nice rates, but I share with people all the time that you know if you look, there's an inverted yield curve, so the market knows that rates are going down at some point. That's right. So when things mature, what we're really looking at is what am I reinvesting in at that point, and did I miss the run up in some of the other opportunities? You know, I might add, you know, we talked about the potential catalyst. 12 months down the road, 18 months down the road from the Fed cutting rates, another big catalyst. There's almost $6 trillion now in money market accounts. Okay. And the point with that is for a lot of clients, they tend to view that as a temporary way station to put some money aside and earn at least a little bit of income. As rates go down, what do you think is going to happen to those money market balances? Or where do you think that money's going to go? That's exactly right. Where they can get a higher rate of return. It's, great it's, going, to be in the, it's going to be in the capital markets. That's exactly right. So for all of our listeners, you've been listening to Frank Congelos, myself, speaking with Mike Trudell from BlackRock. 
And as we wrap up, we wish you all a great end of the summer um, and you know, enjoy it as we're starting to get into the fall a little bit in the next couple of months. Mike, thank you so much for being with us. Always a great insight. And again, nobody's got a crystal ball, but Mike, it's always a pleasure to get your insights and what BlackRock thinks. I mean, their research departments and everything else and what they do is phenomenal. So thank you, Mike. Thanks, Frank. Thanks so much for having me. Everybody have a great week. Advisors of the Institute of Responsible Wealth may be licensed for investment and insurance products. The Institute of Responsible Wealth is an educational division of CNA Financial Group. CNA Financial Group and its advisors are an agency or an agent of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities LLC member FINRA, SIPC, Park Avenue Securities is an wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. The Institute of Responsible Wealth and CNA Financial Group are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Guardian its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or CNA Financial Group. An opinion stated are their own. Diversification does not guarantee profit or protect against market loss. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Investing in the bond market is subject to certain risks including market, interest rate, issuer, credit, and inflation risk. Equities may decline in value due to both real and perceived general market economic and industry condition. Investing in foreign securities may involve heightened risk including currency fluctuation, less liquid trading markets, greater price volatility, political and economic instability, less publicly available information, and changes in tax or currency laws. Such risks may be enhanced in emergent markets. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Data and rates used are indicative of market conditions as of the date shown. Opinions, estimates, forecasts, and statements of financial market trends are based on the current market conditions and are subject to change without notice. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell securities. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. S&P 500 Index is a market index generally considered representative of the stock market as a whole. The index focuses on the large cap segment of the U.S. equities market. Industries are unmanaged and cannot invest directly. 2023 160482